Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. This is your host, Optimus. We are going to be talking about the 1986 movie Aliens, the direct sequel to the 1979 film. It is a science fiction film written and directed by James Cameron. It was his third directorial uh, debut. Some people forget about an early movie he did called Piranha 2. But before Aliens, he had done Terminator, which really set the bar kind of high and put him on the map. Um, it's the second film in the Alien franchise. And for the RFC right here, that's kind of where it ends. But set in the far future, the film stars Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley, the sole survivor of an alien attack on her ship. When communications are lost with a human colony on the moon in which her crew first encountered the alien creature, Ripley agrees to return to the site with a troop of colonial marines to investigate. Aliens also features Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Lance Heinrichsen, and Carrie Henn in supporting roles. On the show today, we have the wondrous, the amazing, the fantastic, the funny Loops, a.k.a. Six Button Samurai, a.k.a. JJJ the Fourth. How are you doing tonight, sir? Man, I love being on this podcast with you, good sir. <laughs> like, we're going to talk about something that essentially we've been talking about for nearly the entirety of our friendship because what if we had every one of those conversations recorded uh i think like a lot of that might be kind of embarrassing now but <laughs> you know I, I i desperately wish that that um archive existed but alas we must make do with ourselves in uh, quasi-adult form Right. Well, we're we're archiving it now for probably the rest of human existence as we know it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, what do you remember? What's the first thing you remember? Maybe the first time you saw this? Did you see this at the theater? Was this a home video vibe? What's your first memory of this this jaunt? So, full disclosure, um, I saw Aliens before i saw alien same yeah um you know this was a time when you know my dad wasn't around much when i was a kid until later on um my primary father figure was my grandfather who was this you know fantastic like world war ii veteran of the pacific theater and he loved 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 movies and you know, he, you know, he and I would hang out a lot on his days off in that time. And so I had kind of this magical pass to all you could eat R rated movies in the middle of the 1980s. <laughs> so, um, it wasn't so frowned upon at that time. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, that, that was a way more loose and reckless period of parenting, I guess I would say. But, um, you know, I was already familiar with James Cameron because I had seen The Terminator on opening weekend, and that movie just completely flipped my skull open. And so when I saw that, like, he was attached and it was this thing called Aliens, like, I only had the trailer to go on. I didn't have any previous frame of reference for the film. But I saw it, 
And I don't think I'd ever been like more just utterly engaged by a film to that point. I mean, it was instantly like this thing that I just knew I was going to have to have access to like forevermore. Like this movie is a really big effing deal. Um, what do you recall? So I don't think I saw this one at the theater. I mean, I saw so many others, but for some reason, I think this one eluded me at the theater. But I do remember we had, it was sort of like HBO, but it was called Select TV. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think you had maybe a, I'm not sure if it was a dish or if it ran like cable. I don't even remember. It was something my parents had. Okay. And, uh, you know, we had a VCR and I would record movies off of this. And my, you know, my parents would give my brother and I VHS tapes so we could record movies so we could watch them later, whatever we wanted. I had this one VHS tape. And if you wanted to know how I turned out the way I did, this tape had three movies. on it. <laughs> SLP, baby. <laughs> big, big Trouble in Little China. Rad. Aliens. Rad. And First Blood Part 2 Rambo. Wow. Yeah. Did you intentionally that, do that based on the James Cameron connection or was that? Just- no, I didn't even, you know what? I didn't even know that until way later. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Probably. I don't think I even paid attention to that on the credits. Okay. Um, as a kid, it was just like, oh, this movie has guns and army dudes fighting and cool stuff. You know what I mean? I just recorded it. And a really um, hot Vietnamese woman. Let's right. Be realistic here. <laughs> uh, so but aliens was one of those ones that my brother and i when we watched it i mean it was scary mm-hmm. after you watch it a few times you know you know the scenes but there was something about the way that movie looked the way the characters were the slightly futuristic setup um the aliens themselves were just cool and scary yeah you know the the whole storyline is ramped up and and really the visuals and the sound and the future the futuristic uh you know space marine guns and the drop ship and the apc (laughs) the ship itself like it just floored me and uh and then like you i i went and saw or later on i saw alien Probably it was probably a year or two later when I finally saw Alien. And first impression of Alien at the time was I didn't like it because mm-hmm. it wasn't Aliens. Right. <laughs> right. Later, I've come to appreciate that. And now that'll be an episode, a whole nother episode of this podcast later. But, uh, well, and I think Aliens. Yeah. When you look at these two movies, and like this has been like a bitter thing of contention for a long time because there are people that just absolutely swear by the original alien and aliens are just like, it's like the action movie they did out of it. But the thing is like you could never do a better haunted art house movie than Ridley Scott pulled off with alien. So I think when James right. Cameron and I looked think at the it, smartest thing he did, right. The yeah. smartest thing he did was, was like, okay, I'm not going to copy what Ridley Scott did. Mm-hmm. And if anything, if I was, if I had the chance, if I survived that encounter, this is how I picture it in my head of how Cameron's writing the character. If I survived that encounter and I got a chance to go back to stop this thing for good, Mm -hmm. I would. And, you know, um, so, okay. So aliens released 86 directed by James Cameron produced by, uh, his at the time, were they married? Was it Gail Ann Hurd? 
I don't remember if they were married or if they were just together. I want to say that they got married sometime between the Terminator and this, but that's, okay. I, I'm not She totally was an actual professional producer, and I know there were some... Because originally they had tapped him to write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. He wrote the screenplay, and then he got the gig to do Terminator, and he wrote and directed Terminator. After that was done, these guys saw Terminator, and they're like, uh, okay, well, maybe you can direct it. And then... You know, uh, here's another one of the things about this movie that's amazing that I was watching or watching and reading some stuff about. This movie was on a, for the time, sort of a shoestring budget for a movie this big, like $18.5 million mm-hmm. in 86 when this was made. Which is not much. <laughs> which was about $10 million short of what blockbusters at the time were. Mm-hmm. It looked better than anything else. And the same year they released Superman four on the same budget. And Superman four looked like it was made for a million dollars. That movie looks like garbage can. Well, I mean, and, uh, um, you know, yeah, no, I mean, and so much of that, I think, you know, Cameron, it's funny because now we associate Cameron with like, these insanely large budgets and more CG than you can shake a stick at. I don't. Right. But (laughs) the thing is like the Terminator was an extraordinarily lean kind of down and dirty indie movie at its soul. So even though this was like a big, big Fox project and he wasn't handed much of a budget, for him and his producing partner, like they understood what they were going to need to do, you know, particularly the difficulties in portraying the creatures. Right. And then it helps that he was like, I mean, he saw star Wars and that was like, well, I mean, he had seen 2001, but when he saw star Wars, he was like, Holy crap, how did they do this? And I got to learn everything. And he really got to learn how to build models and mm-hmm. do special effects and work with Roger Corman and he helped on Battle Beyond the Stars which isn't a great reference but it was a lot of experience right. and he he geeked out so hard on how to set up this stuff that he had such a mind for it and then he had such a passion for the characters and the stories mm-hmm. you know it was a no brainer that that he was going to become a great director and um you know it was thanks to uh Terminator that he really got this shot and Galen Hurd really telling them this is the guy you should have doing this because he knows what he's doing and he can make this 18 million look like 40 million. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's there's no question if you look at his films, I mean, the man thoroughly understands action and like the rhythm of those things, how to stage them in an exciting way. And, you know, because of his training in the Roger Corman school, he thoroughly understands also, like, how to do it on the cheap. I mean, right. ever since How to make the most mm-hmm. out of what you got. I mean, ever since he's had, like, every toy in the toy box potentially to play with. But that all really comes from, you know, just really being a lean, mean, and disciplined storyteller. Yeah. Speaking of the story, let's start to break into the story beats of this. So, like we said, this is uh, Aliens, a sequel to the 1979 Alien. So, the main character from Alien, Ellen Ripley, has been in stasis for 57 years aboard the escape shuttle from the end of Alien. 
um, the Nostromo, to escape the lethal alien creature which slaughtered her crew. She is rescued and debriefed by her employers at the Wayland yutani Corporation, who are skeptical about her claim of alien eggs in a derelict spaceship on the uh, colony planet LV-426. It is now the site of a terraforming colony called Hadley's Hope. After contact is lost with the colony, Wayland yutani representatives Burke and Colonial Marine Gorman ask Ripley to accompany them to investigate. Still traumatized by her alien encounter, she agrees on the condition that they are there to exterminate the creatures. Ripley is introduced to the Colonial Marines and an android bishop on the spaceship, Sulaco. Um, that's a very like compressed, I wanted to talk about like, even with that opening shot. So the opening shot of the movie, we get the title thing, mm-hmm. you see the Nostromo. And that first shot of like that cutting torch coming in, and then the light wave that comes and scan her, like I, I'm looking at, I just, I just watched this movie and, and I may be biased because I've probably seen this movie a hundred times. Mm-hmm. All the visual effects in this movie, actually, there's maybe three or four shots that have a rear projection effect that you can tell is reprojection now, probably because I'm watching it on a 4K display. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid watching that on VHS, you couldn't tell. Like, it looked, it everything looked like it was actually there. Yeah. I would say 80%, 90% of the shots in this movie are all in camera, and you can actually tell and like i said there's the rear projection shots they still look pretty good i mean hell i've seen some cg in some newer movies that i'm like oh yeah that's that's cg yeah i mean (laughs) having just watched it a couple days ago i think the only shots that are slightly janky um you know there is that exterior of the like space station orbiting earth yeah, that's a little bit wackadoodle, mm-hmm. and then there's also the um, when the dropship first enters LV426. That's that's a little bit on the dodgy side, but yeah, when you consider what we're dealing with, and you know the scale of what he was trying to portray, you know, between the giant atmosphere processing station and the complexity of these vehicles and models, let alone the queen. I mean, it's really, oh, that was, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get there. to that in a minute. Cause that was genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of which the, the, you know, and this is, this is, I mean, we'll get to this influence too, but you know, we got the shot of the ship, the Sulaco, this giant monolith looking spaceship, the Marines are on there and they wake up and they're all having fun. And, talking about this mission and you know we see ripley and they're kind of talking behind her back a little bit not believing her story but the slaku itself is this really cool looking monolithic spaceship and then as they're prepping for their mission you know they take a drop ship which looks like um like a vietnam era kind of huey helicopter but turned into a spaceship yeah, I think the it, original inspiration was the Bell. Okay. Or the, the Bell Cobra attack chopper. Okay. Yeah, yeah that like makes the, sense. The cockpit is kind of taken from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this dropship drops into this atmosphere. And when they land, like you said, that shot, I, I noticed it too. I was like, yeah, that's a model. Like, <laughs> right. That's an overcranked model shot, but it worked. Yeah. It worked. Still serviceable. Um, 
<laughs> the dropship comes down, and you're not even expecting this is the cool. I mean, the dropship drops and then it detaches from this giant APC, which was like the coolest thing. It's like, you know, a troop carrier with a turret, and they drive into the colony, and you can tell this place looks like just like it's been ravaged there's nobody around everything is like trashed um yeah there's definitely a rainwashed sort of cyber slightly cyberpunk thing going on yes with the neon out in the streets like it could be like Mm -hmm. you know the edge of town from blade runner almost (laughs) right yeah so they drop to lv426 they find the battle ravaged colony and um when they get inside, they don't find any people, but they do find the med bay and the colony people have two live alien face huggers that we had seen in the first movie. Mm-hmm. No bodies or colonists except for a young girl they find named Newt. And uh, right away, Ripley sort of becomes attached to Newt because Ripley learned as she woke up that when she was asleep for 57 years, she lost her real daughter who would have been 60 something years old <laughs> right but her real daughter died of cancer and uh, the team locates the colonists using a tracker that all the colonists had implanted in them and they're all located in one place in uh you know uh hicks says it looks like a damn town meeting mm-hmm. um beneath the fusion powered atmospheric processing station and uh that you know they decide well let's go investigate that so they all load up in the apc the marines go down there at the station center the marines uh find open eggs face huggers and cocoon colonists and uh gorman the leader lieutenant gorman has only done two real missions and he's leading this team and you could tell he's a little green around the gills and there's also this enormous complicating factor because Ripley looking at it and realizing that it's a fusion reactor tells Gorman that if they fire their weapons in there, yeah, they're going to they set the, the entire point. thing off with a nuclear explosion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Apone the sergeant has all the Marines take out their, their ammo and give it to frost. Poor frost. Poor frost. <laughs> he does have one of the best lines in the whole movie though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so they find a uh, they find a colonist who's still alive but cocooned up in the alien muck and the colonist says kill me and then all of a sudden you know the stomach starts to pop and Ripley sees it and is immediately just having a reaction because she knows what that is and the little alien pops out just like it did in the original movie and they immediately set it afire with the flamethrower and then hudson who has a motion tracker starts calling out he's got movement and this is the cool man this is one of the things that blew me away as a kid is is the way it's shot the lighting and the way the aliens look they like blend in with their environment Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you just see these things coming like alive that you thought were part of a wall. They're coming the out stealing. of the goddamn walls. <laughs> They're coming out of the goddamn walls and they come down and start attacking the Marines and panic sets in. Um, you know, Gorman's trying to tell him what to do. And half the Marines get slaughtered right there. They uh, find out the truth. What 
what Ripley was saying that the alien is, you know, fierce, strong, and has acid for blood because mm-hmm. it burns quite a few, kills a few, burns quite a few. Um, Gorman has no idea what to do. Ripley just runs up to the front of the APC, grabs the controls, and hot hot rods that thing right through a wall to get the Marines out. Right. She just begins acting on instinct. And I've got to say, like, that scene left such an impression on me. It wasn't that I was completely terrified, but there is something really powerful about the intercutting between Gorman and Ripley on the APC and what they're watching by way of the cameras mounted on the helmets. Yeah. It's like, I feel like that, that got copied by so many other filmmakers. The idea that like people are watching somebody else just get Get mowed down or something. (laughs) I mean, like I remember that, that scene like was absolutely the point where like, I'm completely like sucked into this narrative. Yeah. right she rams through and they rescue hicks hudson and vasquez and gorman and gorman and uh orders at that point they get out and then they uh you know this this is a great scene where you know ripley says we should nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. And then Burke, the money guy who works for the company, is like, whoa, 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 whoa. This place has a significant dollar value attached to it. You can't make that kind of decision. And Ripley says, well, this is a military operation, isn't it? Right. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, and Corporal Hicks is next in command because Gorman got knocked unconscious in the uh, scuffle. <laughs> And Sergeant Apone uh, was lost. And Apone was lost. And uh, Hicks says, well, I guess we nuked the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Mm-hmm. And he orders the uh, the dropship to come pick them up. And the dropship was parked in another remote area. They go to take off. And, you know, uh, the co-pilot comes in. He says, hey, wait, hold on. I see something. She's like, hurry up and get up here. And he runs up. And then what you saw was like some alien funk slime or whatever mm-hmm. so you knew one of them had gotten in and it kills him and then it kills her they and you see the uh, dropship crash and then newt's got a line where she's like i guess we're not leaving now are we <laughs> i guess we won't be leaving now right and hudson's got one of his <laughs> trademark lines even if you haven't seen the movie you know the line where hudson says it's game over man game over the infinitely cited repeated um, parodied. I think that, yeah, yeah, there was actually an Aliens parody shortly on SNL thereafter in an episode where Sigourney Weaver hosted and it was called Aliens and you had <laughs> um, Dana Carvey as uh, Hudson doing the entire game over thing which was pretty magical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at that point, you know, they decide to barricade themselves in the med bay and figure out a plan to remote pilot the uh, backup dropship from the Sulaco uh, and trying to figure out how to do it. Hudson 
is a total wreck. Ripley tells him to control his shit. And Bishop volunteers. He says, I'm the only one that can do it. And Ripley has Hudson come up with schematics of the whole base so that they can find ways that maybe they can barricade themselves because obviously these creatures are really smart and they can move around. And they find an access tunnel so Bishop can get to the remote uh, terminal so he can call down the ship and then they can work on barricading the med bay. During this time, Ripley discovers that Burke was the one who ordered the colonists that were there at Hadley's Hope to investigate the old derelict spaceship containing the alien eggs. Um, that's the only kind of neat link to Prometheus, but we won't get into any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Intending to profit by recovering them for bioweapon research. Before she can expose him, Bishop informs a group that the dropship crash damaged the power plant cooling system. The plant will soon overheat and explode, destroying the colony. And that's when he goes to uh, get the remote Sulaco dropship. Um, so as they make plans to barricade, you know, Ripley and uh, Newt go to take a rest in the med bay. And... They rest for a little while and they wake up and they hear movement. I think Newt Newt hears it first and she says, Ripley. And they're trapped inside the med bay with two, those two face huggers have been released. Mm-hmm. And they do their best to trap them. And, you know, Newt tells Ripley, break the glass. She can't do it. So she remembers she has a lighter and triggers the fire alarm that alerts the Marines. And they come in and kill the creatures. And then she accuses Burke of doing it. And uh, that's when Hudson says, we should grease this rat shit son of a bitch right now. (laughs) Uh, Because he could have passed the uh, alien embryos through quarantine, which is the guy's whole plan is crazy. Like I was watching the movie and I was like, what is this fucking crazy guy doing? Because he does some other crazy stuff too, Burke. Right. Um, And... At this point, the power is suddenly cut, and the and uh, this is is it Hudson or Hicks is like they can cut the power now. Oh, it's and Hudson. They, How do yeah. they get the power, man? They're How animals. They get the power? Yeah. <laughs> so they pull out the motion trackers, and they've sealed all these doors and walkways and hallways and sub access tunnels. And they're on the motion trackers, and they're checking. And after a while, like the motion sensors, like they're in the room and. And she's like, that's in the room. Can't be reading it right. He's like, I'm reading it right, man. And that's where you've got one of the best shots of the entire movie. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Hicks climbs up, lifts up this ceiling tile. When when it's cut to the next frame, you've got just the light from his flashlight swinging from left to the right side of the frame on his face really close. And you see that there's just this armada of aliens crawling their way above the ceiling. Upside down on the ceiling like fucking cockroaches. Mm-hmm. Man. <laughs> like, They're very oh. cockroach-like in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just start... I think he fires first, and then all of a sudden the aliens burst in the room. And um, one of the things that I love that, that continuity-wise from Alien 1 to Alien 2 that they kept is the aliens kind of make this almost like hissing sort of insect yes. kind of sound. It's a very high-pitched insectile sort of whine. And it's really cool. And I think even in Alien 3 and then in Alien 4, we don't even go there. They sounded like lions. Like, 
<laughs> uh, we we saw yes, that together at the theater. You and I suffered through that together at the multiplex, and thankfully, this will be the last we ever talk about. <laughs> I I think I watched it one other time later. I've on, never seen it since on DVD. I, I don't even know if I could finish it. Yeah, I was like, oh, so bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but the. The sound effect of the machine gun fire and the, and the Marines firing, and you hear the aliens, and they're making their sounds. And when the aliens get hit, they they spray acid everywhere. And it's it's dangerous when your enemy has acid for blood, and you're firing high explosive projectile bullets at them that causes the blood to spray everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um. As this chaos is going on, Burke sneaks out the back and fucking locks the door mm-hmm. behind. Them thinking, oh, I'm safe. I'm going to let these aliens. Like, well, I don't know what he was thinking. What was he going to do by himself? Wait for Bishop and hide in a click. Like, this is the part I was like, what is he doing? I think he, you just have to imagine that off screen, he's like engaged in this frantic communication with the company because this entire thing is going sideways. Yeah. And you can only imagine the, the company is simply like, you have to stop them. You have to thwart them. You have to bring the creature back. And perhaps they're promising ever more ridiculous sums of money to keep him in thrall. But yeah, like that's a really like his mindset, like, well, what's really your plan? And it's hard to know whether or not it's just like him as like an arrogant fuck, or is he just utterly stupid and still not realizing exactly how deep the shit he is in is yeah (laughs) and uh, there was a line shortly before this when when she's talking about burke you know using her uh, and she says you know burke i don't know which species are worse them or us you don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage Mm -hmm. and i don't know that rings to me even more true to this day the amount of kind of terrible things people will do to each other for a buck is kind of insane. Yeah. Especially at their uh, employer's whim. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, I was watching last night and he locks them in and then he's like trapped. I was like, he has no guns. Bishop still hasn't gotten the ship. Mm -hmm. He has no idea what he's doing. Yep. If the aliens got in there, they probably know how to get in everywhere. And he doesn't even know how many of them there are. So I was just like, he's an idiot. Like I, 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 this is the first time where I was really like, wow, he's really fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> they get to the door that, that Burke had locked. And uh, I think Vasquez uses a torch to cut through it. And they get through. And, and Burke had ran to the next door. And when he opens that door, an alien kills him. So there is a deleted scene where Ripley sees him later in the movie. Um, it's kind of a, it's not on the Blu-ray or or any of the releases, but I did see like somebody found it online. So is it like a callback to the other deleted scene from alien where Ripley finds Dallas? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I only saw like a really crappy cut of it. I was like, Oh, that would have been interesting. That makes sense. Hey everybody, we got to take a quick break so you can check out what's coming next to the ruminations radio network. This is Hoptimus from Retro Futures Culture. My co-host tonight is Six Button Samurai from Oh God It Hurts. Please check out the following promo for Ruminations Radio Network. Get it! 
You've been listening to another fine, fine podcast on the Rumination Radio Network. This is Game Agent E.T. from Oh God, It Hurts! And we hope you keep on listening to our fine, fine podcast here on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Futures Culture. We're talking about Aliens 1986, directed by James Cameron. I have with me Six Button Samurai from Oh God, It Hurts. We're going to get right back into the film. <laughs> so Aliens take Burke. They, uh, they end up killing Hudson and take him. They, uh, Hicks gets injured when um, they're running through. Oh, but first, they, this is how Hicks gets um injured too but uh gorman and vasquez are are the last in line and they're crawling through these tunnels that newt finds to get them out and um the aliens are chasing him vasquez runs out of bullets gorman goes back for her they know that they're not going to live so gorman pulls a grenade and they hold on to it till it blows up the ensuing explosion knocks um knocks newt down through a shaft she lands in the water and then ripley and hicks have to chase after her Mm -hmm. and hicks tries to cut through the floorboards before he can get there the aliens grab newt luckily newt was wearing a tracker that hicks had given ripley that ripley put on newt Mm -hmm. and as ripley and hicks get try and get back to um the ship to get weapons to go rescue her an alien uh they close in the elevator door and an alien comes in and hicks blasts the alien and the blood the acid blood burns through his body armor ripley gets it off mostly in time but not enough to keep it from severely injuring him so she gets back bishop is back with the ship which is good because it's full of guns and during the movie um you know hicks had shown ripley how to use the weapons and uh, it's just a cool transformation to see her go from so terrified to now she has she wants to find Newt. She wants to put this in her past. Yeah. And really, she's got nothing else left to use. The whole place is going to blow up. So what the hell, right? <laughs> if she if she makes it, she makes it. If she doesn't, you know. I mean, uh, if this movie has a secret sauce, it's just how many satisfying smaller emotional loops are sort of formed and then closed as the movie goes on. Like Hicks is extraordinarily drawn to Ripley because he senses this sort of quiet strength in her. He believe he's the first to believe her when she begins to brief the entire group. Mm -hmm. You see the look on Hicks face where he's just like, Oh, she knows something, and we need to pay attention to this. Um, and that sort of carries through, and that's when Hicks teaches her how to use the M41A pulse rifle. Um, there's also the really satisfying conflict and then bond between Ripley and Bishop, which is set up by virtue of the fact that Ripley and her entire team basically got fragged because of the terrible android in the first movie who worked for the company right yeah um and then even a a much smaller but still satisfying loop when gorman goes back for vasquez and sacrifices himself 
Right. That's a total flip from when Vasquez was enraged at Gorman, feeling yeah. like he had helped leave her fellow smart Drake. gunner Drake behind. Yeah. So there's just all these t- tiny little bonds between these characters that are explored. There's a rupture or some sort of conflict and then a resolution. And all of that is just sewn so seamlessly into the fabric of this genuinely thrilling ass sci-fi movie. Yeah. That's uh, the writing, the script, the execution of it. So I mean, like every time I watch it, I'm blown away by how real these characters feel and interact with each other. Um, and on top of all this unbelievably cool, like the art and design present in this movie, like, you know, uh, and of course we're going to get well, into you all have, of the, uh, you had who, Sid Mead doing designs, mm-hmm. you had Stan Winston doing designs and you had James Cameron himself doing designs. I mean, right. Sid Mead, the guy that, that designed most of Blade Runner and then Stan Winston's like a creature effects mastermind. Right. Right. And then James Cameron himself, I mean, ter- he designed the Terminator right. with Stan with Stan Winston, but still that was his, does it was his fever dream that he drew it, mm-hmm. you know? And no, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that really made this movie possible was, you know, the original alien design by H.R. Giger, it's this unbelievably beautiful, ornate, terrifying thing. But in the context of the first movie, it that film kind of had to take this haunted house approach to the alien being present in the film because that was not that was not a suit that was designed for athleticism. And you can tell by the way the creature's shot in that movie. And if you contrast that with the way the aliens move and claw up the walls and attack in this film, I mean, Stan Winston did an unbelievable job at basically looking at that original design and going, okay, this is how we turn it into a convincing suit. You know, as long as you shoot it this way, like it will look really good. And that's why you get so much of that crazy dark red monochromatic light lighting that really makes those designs just pop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And I know one of the things specifically because, you know, he wanted to have more action and more movement. They designed the suit better for movement and they hired gymnasts and dancers of a certain build and a certain size. They had to be really slender and really athletic to wear the suit and move around. And it, it totally works. There's all these cool shots. And then like he would do, um, he would over crank the camera by like 10 frames to make it or under crank it by 10 frames to make it look faster on playback for Mm -hmm. certain things. Yeah. He was just so good at like all of that, low budget film school training he had with Roger Corman really, really paid off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, but the thing, uh, okay, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll you, um, you know, so, uh, so Ripley's there and this is like one of those class and there's so many, there's so many shots in this movie that later on, when we get to the stuff at influence that you see them completely steal these shots, but with characters from, those materials but i saw a couple in this movie i was like oh that's totally in this game uh-huh. oh that's totally in this game <laughs> yep but you know 
Ripley goes and she grabs an M40A1 pulse rifle. She grabs a blowtorch or the flamethrower. She like zip ties these things together with one shoulder strap, grabs piles of grenades, you know, grabs flares so that she knows her way back. She's smart enough to know that this place is going to be confusing and hard to find, you know, and she asks Bishop how much time he says, you know, this place is going to be a cloud the size of Nebraska in 24 minutes. <laughs> she says, we're not leaving. He's like, we're not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Hicks like, we ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's all drugged up on, on painkillers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she goes down there and she has her tracker to track Newton. She's following it. And she's getting further into the hive. And she turns this corner and you see it. And when you see it, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> she finds the alien queen who's like huge and ornate. And like the design to me is like perfect because if you've ever like looked at pictures of like a ant queen or the bee queen, they're like totally different looking and huge compared mm-hmm. to the rest of their drones. No, it's so to speak. Perfectly inspired by nature, that choice. Yeah, even the whole like the whole design of the aliens themselves are very insect looking. That's why the later movies when they started getting away from that I was like nope, nope. That literally shut me down from Alien 4. I was like at that one point in that movie I was done. I was like, like nope, yeah, I don't care about the I'm checked out. out. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um <laughs> you know, cuz she finds Newt gets her out and that's when they turn the corner and they find the queen and um these drones kind of they almost look a little bit bigger than the regular drones kind of come out like her guards and uh ripley has uh the torch and she kind of is you know kind of almost like physically talking to the queen like you let me out or i burn these guys and all your eggs and so the queen like nods and the two drones back off and then as ripley's backing up one of the little eggs opens up and ripley does this look yeah, she does this little head tilt and like, all right, oh, fuck bitch. you. <laughs> yeah, and she just starts setting him a fire, right? And then the drones come in and she's firing the M41, she's blasting them, and the queen's like getting pissed. And then Ripley takes the grenade launcher, the under grenade launcher on the M41, and just starts pounding the queen with it, but not really hitting the queen, more like hitting her like big crazy egg sack thing, and it's just blowing up mm-hmm. as she's backing up. And then you know Ripley gets to the elevator she gets on and we see the queen detach and this thing is smarter than smart because the queen figures out oh i can take the next take elevator. the elevator <laughs> yeah and they ripley and newt get to the top just as the place is starting to like get really kind of on the edge of exploding and Bishop's not there, and she's like, Bishop! She thinks that she's been betrayed again. Right. But Bishop shows up at the last second, and they get in, and he tells her, he's like, sorry, I had to leave. The platform is getting really unstable. I didn't want to blow up. And, uh, you know, everything is all good on the ship. And as Bishop's explaining that to her, all of a sudden we see, like, acid on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then you see, like, something come through Bishop's stomach and Ripley's face is like in shock. And then the queen drops out of the drop ship. She somehow snuck herself into one of the landing bays, the landing gear bays. Well, at first you think it's handled in a way that you think for a moment that yeah, Bishop he got is in. impregnated. Yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, no, it's a really it's good transition. Massive tail of the queen 
that's about to rip his ass in half. <laughs> yeah, which she does. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Bishop sends Newt to hide. Newt goes under the floor. Or, I mean, Ripley sends Newt to hide. Newt goes under the floor, and Ripley runs through a doorway that she knows where to go get something, and she shuts the door behind her, and the queen's looking around. Oh, man, the queen's trying to find Newt. It's pulling up the floorboards. Newt's fast enough to get away from her. And then all of a sudden, uh, the door opens, and Ripley's inside one of the exo loader suits that we saw her in earlier in the movie helping the Marines load cargo mm-hmm. um, for the drop. Which is another and, fantastic setup and payoff. I was going to say, yes. on the subject of the Queen, um, one of the deleted scenes, and of course, we'll probably, once you finish your synopsis, we'll talk about all the special edition wrinkles. But one of the deleted scenes is actually Hudson talking about the bugs when they're in the med lab. And he's like, there's usually a queen and she's like big, you know, and I kind of wish that had been kept to sort of help set up the queen thing, but ultimately it's not terribly necessary, but it's cool that he did that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So the queen, you know, rips Bishop apart. is trying to find Newt. Ripley gets in this giant loader and it's like a primitive, almost like mech. Mm-hmm. It's got these big arms with clamps. It's loud. It's got a little uh, torch. <laughs> it's got a little torch. You know, it doesn't move too bad. It's not super fast, but it can rotate. Like the arms can move kind of faster, powered by like, you know, pistons, hydraulics. And, uh, she opens the Ripley opens the door and there's like one of those like lines that can only come from an eighties movie in the way that is best <laughs> given and, and you know, Ripley just blares out to the queen, get away from her, you bitch. And then she just attacks the queen with this giant loader, which is really fierce. And at first the, the, she knocks her down, she knocks the queen down. And then the queen figures out she can use her crazy tail, which is like, part whip part spear Mm -hmm. and starts trying to hit at ripley because even though ripley's in this exosuit it doesn't have like full armor she if the queen was quick enough she would have probably ripped her head right off but um yeah she's just exposed in that yeah and ripley's able to uh ripley's able to use the control panel on the exo armor to open the airlock and this is a callback to the first Alien movie. She opens the airlock. It's like, she's like, I've been through this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she takes the queen and tries to dump her in the airlock with the loader. And the queen pulls the loader with her. And they both fall down in there into the airlock. Ripley climbs out of the exosuit trying to climb up. And the queen is grabbing onto her shoes. Ripley climbs up enough that she can open the external airlock, suck the queen out, barely pull herself up in time, and close the airlock. And finally, we get to the end of the movie where Ripley, Newt, and Hicks are getting into the sleep beds for the trip back home. And Newt asks Ripley if they can sleep. And Ripley says yes all the way home. And um, that's where we leave this movie. And the better continuation would be the comic books that followed, not the Alien 3 movie. (laughs) Man. So here's... (laughs) It's funny now because obviously like David Fincher has gone on to have this incredible career and makes some of my favorite films. Um, however, <laughs> in 1992, walking out of alien three, because he kills off Hicks and Newt 
off screen in the opening five minutes of the film. I'll be honest here. I was utterly unplugged at that moment. Like I stuck around. I still watched the entire movie, but man, I, here's the thing. I completely understand. Like if you're going to take something and you're going to create a new thing, you can't be afraid to kill darlings. Like I get that in the abstract, but at the same time, if you're following up a movie that so many people love to pieces and you're going to negate so much of their emotional investment in the previous movie, you probably shouldn't do it in the first five minutes. That's all I'm going to say about alien three. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, that's that movie had a lot of big trouble development. Seven scripts. Was yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, and he was one. Of, I mean, he wasn't the first director assigned to that, and he fought for some things, and you know, it, yeah, it went through a lot of bullshit. Yeah, um, there are some parts I like in that third movie, but overall, yeah, I've I've only watched it a few times and don't plan on watching it again anytime soon. That being said, the Alien Three game that was on the Genesis and Super Nintendo that was pretty cool. Well, that was pretty much like a side-scrolling Aliens. Yeah, let's talk about some of the games, like some of the actual Alien games, and then we'll get into the gargantuan pool of things that it influenced. I mean, probably the first game was the Aliens arcade game by Konami, which I used to play the crap out of at Space Shuttle because it was Aliens. Right. Hasn't aged so well? (laughs) Right. It's like a very basic side-scrolling shooter slash beat-em-up with some first-person scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. It's fun, like it's it's fun from that era. It's definitely not something that like you should really like strive to preserve. I mean, it's a it's I. Right. <laughs> there were a lot of those kind of games in the, yeah in the late eighties in the arcade. Like typical treatment of a licensed game from the era. Yeah, like I said, then there was the the Alien Three game on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo was a pretty good, like not quite a Metroidvania. You had to kind of do a little bit of backtracking, but it was a side scrolling action game where you played Ripley and you had a, you know, a pulse rifle and you had to fight. It was more than one alien you had to fight through. And, and that was pretty fun. The other one I remember being pretty good was alien trilogy, which was on Saturn and PlayStation. It Mm -hmm. was like a kind of a doom clone. Yeah. That one was pretty fun. Um, so, recently, I played the Alien. Um, what's the one that's currently on Xbox? Is it Game Fire Pass? Team. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Yeah, it, it's not. It doesn't really do much to like. And I'm a huge dude. I'm a huge fan of this movie. And uh, as a game, it's just kind of bare bones, kind of a left for dead kind of a clone, but not even really that fun. I don't know. There was, so, there was just something about it that it didn't really do much for me. It's just kind of, kind of like I had not actually played it. I watched a few videos of gameplay, and I was just like, I don't know. Like it, it weirdly feels like it weirdly feels like a lost arcade game. Yeah, it's it is and it's really basic and it's really repetitive. Right. 
And shit, I mean, I play a lot of repetitive games, but that one just felt really rep- like it was very samey, right? Constantly, yeah. Um, you know, and then uh, there was an aliens mod for the original Doom, a wad, mm. what they were called. It was a full conversion where everything in the game was converted into aliens, levels, guns, there were sound files. It was really effing cool. I remember that was. When I saw that, because I had already fallen in love with Doom on the PC, when I saw that, I was like, the PC is the greatest gaming thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. That's probably what started the short period of my uh, obsession with computer gaming that didn't last too long. Right. For a brief moment now, there in the very late 90s, you were uh, I was you were repping the master race. Yeah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I sure was. Um, what other aliens... Alien or Aliens video games can you think of that have come out that are even of note? I think there's also, like, there's a weird beta side-scroller for the Famicom disc system. There was that Aliens Colonial Marines that was on the last, the uh, 360 and PS3 that was developed by Gearbox and Sega. I, I never played it. I heard it was really bad at launch. They sort of patched it, and it was sort of better, but... You know what's sad is I was at the last E3 I, I attended was the one where they unveiled that. And I remember being hopeful, but like secretly I was just like, I don't know, man. Like for some reason for some reason that license like I don't know that there's ever been a game that like really truly captured the spirit of it or elicited the same thrills and maybe that's just a testament to how good the movie is right um it's hard to say but um no i remember that being shown and that was also the same year that they dropped uh vf5 final showdown oh you know which game was really good and this was probably the best use of multiple the crossover license that you know um that was revealed in Predator 2. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, in Predator 2, there's a scene on the Predator ship that started all this where the Predator has a alien from the Alien Aliens movies skull in his ship as a trophy, and that started this whole crossover. But there, that came later. They made comic books. But there was a PC and Atari Jaguar game, Alien vs. Predator by Rebellion Studios. Mm. And that game was awesome. And you could play as the Colony Marines, you could play as the Predator, and you could play as the Aliens. And they all played differently and they all played awesome. Like when you were the Alien, you had like fisheye lens vision, which was a little disorienting, but you could climb upside down and on walls and just, you were really fast and you could kill anything. It was crazy. And then like when you were the Predator, you were a little more slow and lumbering, but you could cloak and you had the lock on laser. Nice. Um, and when you were the Marines, you moved, you know, at a moderate speed, you had the motion tracker, you had all the guns, you had the smart gun or the M4 grenade launchers, you know, you could heal yourself. Um, that was a really cool game. It had a really fun multiplayer. Um, it was really awesome on the PC. That was during the PCMR time for me. Nice. Um, I unfortunately never got to play that one. I only briefly owned an Atari Jaguar solely for Tempest 2000, as I'm sure you right. predicted. Um, but um, our dear friend, uh, Game Agent ET, would be very angry, and I could hear him scream from Japan if we did not mention 
the Capcom side-scrolling. Oh yeah, AVP. Predator, yeah, <laughs> which sadly yeah. still has not been released. Re-released. There is a official, and it's on the European Capcom all-in-one on arcade stick. Crazy, right? Yes, it's on yeah. that crazy Euro Capcom arcade stick. That's the Capcom logo. Mm-hmm. That's uh, emulated, focused. Yeah. Um, there's also that Alien Isolation game that was released on Xbox One and PS4, but um, I've heard that game's really, really scary. Yeah. Like, really, really scary. And it's and, uh, perfectly attuned with like the original film. So if you're a fan of Alien, that's going to be your go jam. for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we've got like, there's a ton of games that were obviously directly influenced by aliens even maybe a little bit of alien but mostly aliens and you know off the top of my head i mean the first one that's like wears its heart on its sleeve is halo right there's so much from halo that's that's begged borrowed or stolen from aliens big drop ship the apc the the Sulaco, the, the Space sergeant. Marines, the Sergeant. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too on the nose. The <laughs> rifle design, it's very, very, very inspired by aliens. Um, even the original Doom has quite a few nods to uh, aliens with the pulse rifle and whatnot. Um, Contra, Contra was definitely inspired by aliens, I feel like. Like a combination of Rambo and aliens. Mm-hmm. And then even I feel like Metroid, maybe Metroid was influenced a little bit more by the original film, but by Super Metroid, I feel like there was a lot of aliens influence, especially when they flip the coin and the little baby Metroid is like attached to Samus. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely like that sort of brooding sense of loneliness in like these dark places, like... The first one particularly screams alien, but I think you're right in that it, it definitely followed through with the sequel as that later game dropped in 1994. Yeah. There's a scene in, it's either in, uh, I think it might be in Contra Hardcore in the Genesis, one of the little like just cut animation scenes where it shows the guys getting their gear gear ready and it's a straight up borrowed shot from Aliens. I, was, I saw it when I was watching Aliens, I was like, oh, because I was just playing contra hardcore not too long ago on my genesis mini and i was like oh my gosh look at that mm-hmm. <laughs> like... totally um big shout out to um the late al matthews who played the sergeant in aliens um he passed away in 2018 but i mean he was actually a Vietnam he was a real marine. drill sergeant yeah <laughs> and that's why that performance just cuts through that small stretch of screen time that he's in like and it's amazing what a mark that character left because yeah they went on to basically clone him wholesale in the halo series and it's just like an absolute staple of you know that storyline like his appearance in those games so (laughs) yeah and also in halo yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah and and you know, the overall, we, we had kind of touched on it, but, you know, the themes, the the one theme that I really think about with this film is the, the corporate greed, the fact that they're willing to sacrifice lots of lives yeah. for war, which has so many 
um, you know, parallels to today mm-hmm. and, you know, the company, the Wayland Utani corporation, just deeming their crew expendable. And I like in the notes here, you wrote, uh, the perfect eighties yuppie personification with Burke. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. <laughs> and that port, you know what, for me, anytime I saw Paul Reiser in anything after aliens, yeah. I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he at has least, at least he has redeemed himself on Stranger Things. Yes, I don't he has. see him that way anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I I had largely the same reaction when he would appear in other things. Just like, oh, fucking Burke, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's just a ridiculously good movie, and like, I'd say you'd probably have a hard time coming up with a more influential mainstream blockbuster, at least from the 1980s. I mean, still continues to resonate or have, you know, different takes on it. I mean, hell, let's talk about Xeno crisis. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that game's God, that game is fun, but it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> Shit. It's essentially a, Robotron or Smash TV style twin stick shooter, except um, kind of made in a native Genesis slash Mega Drive graphic style. Um, can be played co op, unfortunately, not online. No online. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that game is also entirely not shy about its. Uh, no, it wears, the, it wears its aliens influence on its sleeve for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, I don't know like how many levels you've been into, but each wave it kind of gets weirder and weirder and, and like it gets kind of like almost HP Lovecraft slash like Stranger Things demonic. <laughs> so further down you go, you're like, all right, well, this is getting really crazy now. Wow, um, almost taking a slightly Doom like turn. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. Oh, so much goodness, man! It's such a it's such a friggin' treat to sit with you and take apart something that I know you and I just, you know, at this point, we basically carry this movie in our DNA. <laughs> yeah, I think our, like, major, well, like, you and I always, like, but when uh, we worked together mm-hmm. and we were getting into collecting laser discs again, and I didn't know about this. You were the one that told me about this, the 1990 special edition Laserdisc. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and a copy came in to our work. And uh, I think you had already gotten one, so I got a copy or something like that. Because uh, this is before the, the DVD time. release. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This this would have been like 1997, 98, somewhere around So there. this was the only way you could watch it still. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember um, it was annoying because you had to flip it every thirty minutes because it was a CAV format. And uh, right, uh, but it was cool seeing all those scenes that they they trimmed out per the studio saying, "Hey, we need this closer to two hours so that we can flip it in the theaters more often." And right, um, Cameron himself, if you have the Blu-ray or the 4K, he's like, he's like, "This is the way I intended you to watch it—the full two-hour and like forty-two-minute version, forty miles of bad road." Yeah. <laughs> so there's a few extra scenes, um, you know, where they're setting up like these smart guns and there's, you know, Ripley 
has a little bit more backstory. We get to actually see the colony before it's been uh, turned to crap by the colonists and the fighting the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see Newton, her entire family discover right. the original ship. Yeah. From the 79 movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, I think, and I'll be honest, like the two versions of this movie basically blur together in my head now because <laughs> I've watched both of them so many times. But if I'm not mistaken, I think the theatrical version basically sidesteps the issue of Ripley's daughter entirely. Yeah, they don't, they, it's not even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I actually, the what I watched recently, I was like, you know what, I have not watched the theatrical one in. 20 years yeah (laughs) i've always been watching the special edition one i was like i'm gonna watch the theatrical one and see and yeah they they completely sidestep that and i'll be honest man i think it's a tough call because i love how much james cameron wanted to flesh out ripley and make her real and make her like you know this news is devastating for her she doesn't really have a lot to live for, you know, th- which is why at first, you know, she doesn't give a shit that they're going back to LV-426 until she begins to get this notion that, like, well, this may be the only way to purge myself of these nightmares. And the idea of being able to wipe them out is pretty satisfying for her. But obviously, the stakes grow much deeper when they encounter Newt and she basically becomes her surrogate daughter. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing about the theatrical version though, is that in terms of pacing, that is a really wicked ride. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it just, in terms of momentum from one scene to the next, I mean, it's, uh, it's a tough call. I mean, I generally like, if it's something I really, really love to pieces, I generally want more of that thing but i can understand why some people still prefer the theatrical one yes for sure (laughs) yeah i think i think they're the cool thing is if you buy the blu-ray or the 4k they're both on there so you can watch both and that's Um, a very lovely blu-ray remaster after so long yeah because even the dvd had too much green in it it had a very green picture it was very grainy (laughs) It was grainy and it was green. That the color timing was messed up. Yeah, it was very green. Cameron himself was kind of pissed about that. That's why they went back for the Blu-ray. I think there was also now, something about difficulty, like that film being shot on Super Thirty Five. Apparently, which, that right. presents difficulties with transfers, yeah, which is why it came out so grainy. Me. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, if I could just get Cameron to get off his ass and get me my True Lies 4K remaster. <laughs> He's got blue people to tend to, man. That's for another discussion. Well, sir. Yeah. Aliens. Aliens. We did it. Uh, (laughs) If you you made it through this whole podcast, that was spoiler central, but still worth watching. (laughs) There's so many great scenes. The movie is a treat. The quality is amazing. Um, If you get the Blu-ray or the 4K, it looks outstanding. don't watch it on streaming. It's going to be compressed as hell. And it won't have the good sound either. Yep. You know, I'm a stickler for the sound. Get that physical disc, yo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. 
<laughs> well, let's ride this. Let's get it. Let's get to the APC, get in the dropship, and get back to the Sulaco. Let's saddle You've up, Apone. <laughs> You've been listening to the Retro Futures Culture, a production of Ruminations Radio Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show, and we would love to connect with you on social media via Twitter at Futurist Retro. Please visit ruminationsradionetwork.com for additional great shows such as Ruminations of Red Room, Cinephile Hissy Fits, the original um, Tales from the Red Room, and Oh God, It Hurts, starring our friend Six Button Samurai and Game Agent ET. Support Ruminations Radio Network at patreon.com slash ruminationsradio. For all your burning questions and passionate feedback, you can drop us a line at ruminationsradio at gmail.com. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs>